Let's just pray, shall we, as the band are settling down. Thank you for leading us, Daryl. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we belong to you, that you have chosen us. And this morning we choose to listen to your voice. Lord, I pray that as we, as we listen, Lord, that you will help us to shut out those other voices. That, God, that we would hear you speaking to us. Lord, I pray that my voice will be set aside for your voice this morning. And that, God, we would hear what you are wanting to say to us. We open our ears. We open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Daryl said, you know, we've been really excited about this, the messages that um, he's been bringing over the last couple of weeks. I hope you have been. Well, one or two, Daryl, one or two. I've been really excited, and, you know, we really believe as a church that this is a, a significant time. You know, this is a significant word for a significant time. And this message, no holding back, is so important as we're moving forward, as we want to move into everything that God has for us as individuals and as a church. Now, Daryl has been taking us through over the last couple of weeks. He, he spoke about Joshua, and he encouraged us um, in the first week that he spoke about not allowing fear to hold us back. So he, he said, you know, he reminded us what God said to Joshua about being strong and courageous because God is with them wherever they go. And even in times where we've never been this way before, as the Israelites had never been that way before, they could trust God to lead them and move forward. And then last week, he encouraged us of four things that we need to move forward in difficult times. Focus, follow, honor, and move. Now, I really hope that as you've been listening to these messages, you've been thinking, yes, I want to be a part of this. I hope that you've been stirred to think, well, what does that mean for me? Now, it's interesting because God moved the whole nation of Israel. They all went across that Jordan River. They all crossed over into the promised land as a nation. But that meant that every single one of them had to make a choice. Every single individual person had to choose to move forward. The nation moved forward together. So my question for you this morning is, will you move forward? I want us to think about our part. Now, when I was praying about this phrase, no holding back, you know, I felt that God asked me a question. What are you holding back? And I felt that there was a significance in this word hold. What are we holding? Now, when Moses was being called by God to go uh, to, back to Egypt and to free the, um, the Israelite people from Pharaoh, um, and he was making excuses as to why God shouldn't use him and why he wasn't up to the task, and, and God asked him a question, and he said, what have you got in your hand? And Moses had just got a very ordinary staff. And as we know, God used that staff to do miracles and was part of the process in freeing those people. And I believe God wants to ask us today, what do you have in your hands? What has God given you? What gifts, talents, abilities, vision, dreams, time, money, ideas, passion? And are you holding on to it? 
or are you giving it to God? Now, it was a, it's great that God has been speaking already to us this morning as Daryl has reminded us in that amazing song about the fact that God has chosen us. And we've heard that before, haven't we? God has chosen every single one of us. He's given us gifts and abilities to use to build up the church, to bring his kingdom to earth. Every single one of us. But how many of us hear that and disqualify ourselves? Think it applies to everybody else except me. Well, today I want to look at three reasons or excuses that I know I use And I have a sneaky suspicion that some of you may use too uh, as to why perhaps God won't use us and why we perhaps can't move forward. So these are the three reasons. Who I am and what I have is too ordinary. Who I am and what I have is too insignificant. And who I am and what I have is too weak. So first of all, who I am and what I have is too ordinary. And that word ordinary there means not different or special, not unexpected in any way, pretty usual. Now, I'm sure we can all identify people that we would think of as heroes. You know, those amazing people who've achieved great things in their life. I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm always blown away when I'm watching the Olympics or the Paralympics and I see the incredible things that these people have done. But most of us probably don't feel that heroic. And we probably feel pretty ordinary. Do we want to be ordinary? Well, I think probably quite a few, as if, if we're honest, would rather not be quite so ordinary. I remember hearing a, an interviewer asking a group of children, probably aged about seven or eight, what they wanted to be when they grew up. And the majority of them said they wanted to be famous. They didn't know what they wanted to be famous for, but they wanted to be famous. And isn't that our culture today? If you're famous, you're really important. You're really significant. Now, I'm not suggesting you all want to be famous. Perhaps some of you already are. But perhaps we would like to feel a bit special, a bit different, maybe stand out from the crowd a bit. But actually, the good news is that God specializes in using the ordinary. So in Acts 4, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) in Acts 4, (coughs) Peter and John are hauled before the religious council because they've healed a lame man. And they want to know by what authority they have to heal someone. And then Peter stands up and he's full of the Holy Spirit and he basically tells them the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And then in Acts 4, we read the response of the religious leaders. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I think we can get so familiar, can't we, with the Bible sometimes and the people that we read about that we actually lose sight of their ordinariness. We think that they're something super special, but actually, Jesus didn't choose super special people. He didn't choose his disciples from the elite. He chose ordinary, uneducated men. 
These people that he chose weren't considered to be anything out of the ordinary, and they led very ordinary lives. What made them extraordinary was the fact that they'd been with Jesus. The difference was that they'd given their lives to Jesus, their ordinary lives to Jesus, for him to use, for him to work through them in extraordinary ways. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, familiar passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love the way the message puts it here. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Our everyday, ordinary life, our sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life is the life God wants to use. Don't hold back because you feel too ordinary. Don't hold on to your ordinary life. God wants to use it. I don't know what kind of testimony you have about how you came to know Jesus, but I used to wish that I had a bit more, a bit less ordinary testimony. You know, you hear testimonies of how God saves people out of incredible lives of of, uh, crime and drugs and difficulty, and, and incredible what God does in people's lives. And I love to hear those stories. And I'm so grateful that God works in those ways. But my testimony is far more ordinary. But you know what? My friends are also ordinary. They're not really into, well, not that I'm aware of, lives of life of drug and crimes, crime. And in fact, my testimony, although they might appreciate and, under, and, and be amazed by the testimony of how God saves people in those circumstances, perhaps actually what they can relate to more is how God has worked in my ordinary life because their life is an ordinary life. What we are and what we have is never too ordinary for God. So secondly, who I am and what I have is too insignificant. So insignificant here means small or not noticeable and therefore not considered important or thought to be valuable. So my question to you this morning, do you feel valuable? Do you feel significant? You know, we look around, don't we? And we look at other people and we feel that they're much more significant than us. Other than us. They're much more um, important, much more valuable to God. Their talents, their gifts, their abilities, they're much, much more important. No one would really notice us and what we have to offer. In fact, God probably doesn't really notice us half of the time. That's how we can feel, isn't it, sometimes? But I want to remind you today, as we've already been reminded, that you are chosen by God. You are hand-picked by him with all your peculiarities, all your hang-ups, all your difficulties, all your gifts and all your talents and all your abilities. You have been picked by God, chosen by him. Your value, your worth is the value that he places upon you. And that is the value of the price that he paid for you, which is the life of his son. Your worth is immeasurable because the love he has for you is immeasurable. Ephesians 1 tells us that God had us in mind even before he created the world. 
Just think about that for a minute. Before anything was created, God was thinking about us. And then Ephesians 2, verse 10, says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created us to love and serve and worship him. He designed us for that purpose. And even before we were born, he had a plan for us. Now think about this for a minute. Do we have any inventors in the room? Do we have anybody who likes to make things? Yeah, I know my husband does. So if you make something for a purpose, you design it for that purpose, you create it for that purpose, you have in mind the purpose that you want it to fulfill, and then you make it to fulfill that purpose, yes? And it's effective if it does what you plan for it to do. God had a purpose for us before he created us, so therefore he created us to fulfill that purpose. So you are the design that God intended. So you, with your skills and abilities, your talents, with your interests, with your passion, with your things that you love and the things that you desire, is part of God's design, his purpose, to fulfill his purpose in and through you. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we're the completed article. It doesn't mean that we don't need a bit of work. You know, God still needs to work in us to help us, to to help us deal with the issues that we face and the things that come upon us that affect us and perhaps damage us in some way. But he has a purpose for us, and he's created us for that purpose. It's easy for us, as I said, to look around and look at other people and feel that they're more significant. But that is not how God sees us. Remember that we are his body, and every part of the body is important. Now, when we look at our own bodies... We can see a fair amount of it, but we can't see everything. We can't see our internal organs. I cannot see my heart, but I'm very glad it's working. And I'm sure you are too. We don't actually think about those bits unless something goes wrong, and then we're pretty aware of it. So there's parts of our body that we don't see that aren't so evident, but are essential. And that's just like the body of Christ. Some parts are more visible than others, but the more visible parts aren't any more important or more valuable than the the less visible ones. So as a body of Christ, some people may have more visible roles, but that doesn't make that role or that person any more important than anybody else. God is the expert in taking the small and seemingly insignificant and transforming it. In 2 Kings 4, we read the story of the widow and her oil. I just want to read this to us. So the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said except a small jar of oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. 
She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. When Elisha said to the woman, what do you have? Her first response is, I've got nothing. And then she remembered the small and insignificant jar of olive oil, except a small jar of oil. It was almost like it wasn't worth mentioning, like it was too small and insignificant. What, could what good could that possibly be in this situation where I'm about to lose my sons to pay the debt of my husband who's died? <clears throat> but with that small jar of oil, actually, God transformed that and provided freedom and provision for her and her sons. What do you have? We know from the story of the feeding of the 5,000, from a small lunch of loaves and fishes, God, Jesus, multiplied and fed over 5,000 people. Now, that packed lunch was pretty insignificant, wasn't it? Except to the boy, it was pretty significant to him. You know, it's interesting. I often wonder what he was really thinking. If you imagine yourself in that situation, you know, you've heard that there's a, there's, you know, a need for food and you've got your packed lunch. I think I'd be thinking, well, I'm all right. <laughs> I've got mine. I don't think I'd be thinking, well, you know, perhaps this could help. Would you? But he obviously did think it would make a difference. What do you have? Don't discount it as too insignificant. You know, some time ago I was praying and I was just praying and saying to God, but I'm nothing. I have nothing. And God said to me, but look what I created out of nothing. If God can create a universe from nothing, he can take the little that you and I have and make it into something for his glory. What you and I are and what we have is never too insignificant for God. And then finally, who I am and what I have is too weak. And weak here means lacking strength, not good enough, especially in ability, skill, or quality. Now, last time I spoke, I spoke on 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 about sufficient grace and perfect power in weakness. And I shared a bit of my own story with, um, with long COVID. And I said here that the word weakness in this passage doesn't, in, doesn't just mean physical weakness or sickness. It also means weakness of soul. So emotional weakness, mental weakness, weakness of understanding, and even weakness of supply, so material lack or poverty. How often do we feel not good enough, that we are lacking, that we are weak? Maybe we feel too broken, too messed up. But God wants to use our weak and maybe broken lives and use them for his glory. Last time I spoke about Gideon and how God was calling Gideon, but Gideon did not feel up to the task. He felt weak. In fact, he described himself as the least in, the family, in a family of weaklings. But where he saw a weakling, God saw a mighty warrior. Gideon didn't feel gifted enough, but God called him and used him. We read in Hebrews 11, don't we, about these heroes of the faith, these amazing people who achieved so much for God. But I noticed something for the first time recently in Hebrews 11, verse 32 to 34. And what more shall I say? 
I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Their weakness was turned to strength. I don't think I'd noticed that phrase before. But in fact, if you look at the lives of all of those people that are listed in Hebrews 11, you'll find that they were not only weak, they were doubting, they were troubled, they were sinful. In fact, some of them were pretty screwed up. Our weakness is not a barrier for God. As I said last time, our weakness is an opportunity for the demonstration of his grace and power. And one of the things that I've struggled with since having this fatigue and being limited is just being limited in what I can do to serve God. I felt I've got so little to give. But if God can use a small boy, a boy's packed lunch to feed 5,000 and a weakling to defeat an army, he can use the little that you and I have to be used for his glory. So who you are and what you have is never too weak for God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 29. I want to read this in the Amplified. For simply consider your own call, brethren. Not many of you were considered to be wise according to human estimates and standards. Not many influential and powerful. Not many of high and noble birth. No. For God selected, deliberately chose, what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame. And what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. And God also selected, deliberately chose, what in the world is low-born and insignificant and branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, that he might depose and bring to nothing the things that are, so that no mortal man should have the pretense of glorying and boast in the presence of God. These verses tell us the kind of people that God deliberately chooses. The foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, and those that are nothing in the world's eyes. God's kingdom is the opposite of man's kingdom. Man looks at the outward appearance. The man looks at their people's importance, their strength, their influence, their significance, how many followers they have on social media. God looks at one thing, the heart. A heart that is given to him. A heart that is pursuing him. He purposely chooses those who feel weak, insignificant, unimportant, ordinary, because then we know that the power belongs to him, comes from him, and the glory belongs to him. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The message puts it, if you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. This treasure, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in us, is the treasure that we carry in these jars of clay, in these ordinary lives. At our Tuesday prayer meeting this week, Daryl mentioned Zechariah 4, verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can move forward into all that he has for us. It's not about our power. It's not about our ability. If you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, well, I don't feel unimportant. I I feel quite special and I feel actually quite significant and actually I feel quite gifted. Be careful. (laughs) Be careful. It's not about us. I'm really pleased about that. I don't know about you, but I'm very relieved it's not about me. It's about Jesus in us and what he can do with the little that I have. When we give to him our ability, our gifts, our talents, our vision, our dreams, our time, our energy, our money, everything, and we allow him to work through them, he can do incredible things. So my question to you today is, what are you holding are you holding back? What do you have in your hands? What has God given you? Think about Joshua and the Israelites walking around Jericho. You know, before the walls came down, they were told to walk around. What an ordinary thing to do, walk. We can, pretty much most of us can walk. It was not an extraordinary thing that God asked them to do. But God turned that ordinary activity into something extraordinary because they obeyed, because they followed. Someone once said that what God is is looking for is not ability, but availability. Are you available? Daryl, if I could ask for the band to come back up. I've asked for us to finish with a song today. And I just want to ask you the question, are you willing to allow God to take your ordinary, maybe feeling insignificant, weak life and use it for something amazing? Are you available for the Holy Spirit to work within you, to bring glory to God, to do something for him, to move forward? So as we move forward together, we're all taking the step forward, all taking a step into what God wants for us not feeling that we're excluded, not excluding ourselves because of how we feel about what we have to offer, but knowing that what God can do in us is far more than what we might feel we can do with what we have. He can transform us and he can transform what we bring to him. No holding back. No holding back. So as we sing this song you, it may be unfamiliar to you, so just listen to it. But I would ask you just to prayerfully consider, are you available? Are you available? You might want to respond in some way as we sing this. You might want to stand. You might just want to sit. You might want to put your hands out to God. Whatever you feel is a, a right response in your heart to say, God, I am available. I bring you what I have. It may not feel like much, God, but you can do amazing things with what I have. Thank you.